and we have a good sense based on another device of you know what the key things that were important for the suspect and one of the examiners she said i think this might be the password and believe it or not like she wrote it in and it darn open <laughs> you, you have a paper you have a paper in your, oh. your camera <laughs> Those are so I don't have to look at myself. Isn't that funny? Is it still there? <laughs> no, no, no. That's so weird. Well, that's that's I a good hate, idea, though. I hate looking at myself when I'm talking. It's weird. It's weird. Sorry. <laughs> now everybody knows the truth. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'm going to clap us in and do the intro, and then, Jared, I'm going to hand it over to you. All right? All right. Here we go. Welcome to Unallocated Space, a monthly podcast by ArcPoint Forensics, where we speak with DFI experts to learn about their journey to the industry, current challenges, and latest research and wellness. I'm your host, Amy Moles, and joined by co-host Jared Rittenberg. Hey, thanks, Amy. Uh, today, we're excited to introduce Alexis Brignoni. He has been serving in the Orlando, Florida area for the last 15 years as a federal special agent. He's a native of San Juan, Puerto Rico. He has a bachelor's in computer science and an MBA in management of information systems. Before working as a digital forensic examiner, he was a case agent tasked with investigating online crimes against children, network intrusions, intellectual property, and online fraud amongst others. Currently holding multiple digital forensic certifications, Alexis Brignoni has been focused on mobile app development, uh, mobile app digital forensics as an area of interest uh, due to the ever-evolving challenge of parsing a never-ending stream of new applications for relevant data. He can be reached online via Twitter at Alexis Brignoni and on his blog at abrignoni.com. That's A-B-R-I-G-N-O-N-I.com. Alexis, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for, for having me. As, as a longtime listener and fan, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. And we love your and background. I love your, yeah, I love your background. <laughs> So, so for the folks that don't know, um, I live vicariously to Jared's, uh, you know, undertakings in his <laughs> ca bank, a camper van that he lives and goes to the coolest places in the U.S. So when I grow up, I want to be like him. So this is an homage to, to his Twitter and I mean, sorry, his Instagram and his awesome life. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I wish I had the, uh, the overhang set up and all that stuff to park. It, it doesn't always turn out that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sometimes it's a gravel parking lot and you're like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, this, this is not as, as glamorous as uh, in, in my scene. <laughs> you would never know, though. He takes amazing pictures and makes it all always look really nice. Oh, yeah, yeah, try, awesome. to, try to get the highlights. So now people know the Instagram truth. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, your background is really impressive and interesting. How did you find yourself in the community? Um, so, you know, um, the folks that, 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 that know me and now everybody's going to haven't known me they're gonna know me now <laughs> uh, i work in federal law enforcement right so i started my my work just doing you know typical investigative cases not related to computers right but my background is on computers right i'm a computer scientist uh bachelor's on that i have a master's in management management information system so as i'm doing my work and getting into the whole aspect of forensics um, and working some intrusion cases as a cyber agent I became aware of a whole community that existed outside of my agency. Um, and that's where I started to kind of get involved. And I got through that based on Twitter. And I got on Twitter because as I was taking courses, folks were telling me, hey, look, you might want to check this person out or that person out. And then I got kind of in through that. A big person that helped me kind of 
discovered this community was Jessica Hyde, which you all had uh, before in the podcast. She's a good friend of mine. And she was one of the first people that I saw on Twitter and saw one of her presentations on uh, parsing um, mobile apps. And I reached out to her and, and she was so friendly. And that's one thing that I think really distinguishes our community on forensic examiners is that we want to help each other and the community is there and it's full of good people uh, like yourselves. <laughs> so uh, that's how I got kind of got hooked into uh, the community and working with everybody. So was that was that the moment that you got hooked? Um, well, to the community, yes, right? Because I, I was able to reach out to people and they were kind enough to reach back to me and, and help me, right? Um, but like I was saying, before I started doing the forensic thing, I was doing like typical, you know, investigative cases, right? I was working gangs for a little bit, um, you know, safe street stuff. And then I was working crimes against children. And when I started working crimes against children, and you know, this is what, maybe 12 years ago, 11 years ago, um, back then, there was no such thing as a digital forensics degree, right? Um, there was not like a program or infosec as a program wasn't there, right? So you can only get trained with certifications or your workplace. I wasn't aware of that. So I go in with a, an agent, we do a, some interviews, some work, and the guy's denying the activity, right? Well, since I knew computers, the agent said, hey, go check the computer, you know, see what you can find. And I found things that contradicted this guy's story, right? And the guy confesses, right? And that's the moment where I can figure out that, look, there's stuff in this little device that's full of electrons and electricity, right? <laughs> and if you are able to go in it and find the precise things that you need, you can tell truth from lies, right? Reality from fantasy, right? And really move forward, um, whatever you're trying to achieve, in this case, in an investigation. That's the moment. I figure out, you know, we have a program in the that does this well my workplace <laughs> and how do I get into it, right how do i get into it uh there was no lab in my office uh i'm in orlando so back then it was a small office now we're uh pretty like a medium-sized office but pretty large and uh how do i do that and i started looking into it and how to build that capability within my own office and that's what i've been doing for the last you know 12 years that i've been you know gainfully employed with this federal agency so Awesome. So what has been your, the most rewarding experience in your career leading up to this point? Mm, it's, it's, it's tough because there's, <laughs> there's so many. And, and, you know, you know this and the folks either that have been working for government or the military and all that, they know that the, the big payoff in this period of your life is not the paycheck, right? <laughs> it's the, the experiences, being able to make a difference. And I've been blessed with having many of those. Uh, I, I would say the most rewarding experience right now is being able to share the things that I found about either because I discovered them or somebody else shares them with me and I'm able to push it out to others and either because there's some tooling that I could put it into so folks can use or because I'm able to go and present at a conference or something and and get that feedback that it was, it was helpful right and that's really rewarding um, because whatever you're doing is not only limited to your work sphere, it goes beyond, right? And if there's one thing that I think everybody that works in public service or most of the folks that work in service, public service wanna do is take this world as it is and then leave it a little bit better when, you know, when we're not here anymore. <laughs> and that's what we're trying to do, right? The time that we've passed on this planet, make sure that we left it better. And this is my way of doing it. So really, really rewarding. I'm really grateful. I can't agree yeah. more. I really like that a lot. 
Absolutely. I, I got a question. So now the digital forensics is kind of its own emerging industry in its own right. Do you see um, in your work environment, do you see people getting into it just kind of still natively as like they're working traditional cases and then they need to add on the computer piece? Or do you see people coming in now specifically targeting the the forensics cyber piece of it? Um, well, so, so it's a two part answer. So in regards to employment, right, people that come in to work now it's 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 a requirement right you you have now a more established way we let we want people that have degrees in this field or similar fields that we can build up just for this purpose right before when i started it was mostly sworn uh folks that did this type of work in law enforcement agencies now we're seeing uh no i mean when i say sworn i mean non-sworn they're sworn too but civilians right they're not uh, you know, they don't have arrest powers. So they come in and do that work as well because we need we need that. So from an employment perspective, it's become its own field or its own work uh, work career, if I, you know, for lack of a better term. Because before when I started, I was dual, right? I would do the forensic thing and I would also be an agent at the same time and conduct investigations. Now I don't. I'm full-time pure forensics, right? So that's one thing. The second piece of this answer is, before when somebody had a crime and there was a computer they would just bring them all to me right hey, there's a computer involved you know you know and and just drop it there now every crime right has some digital component to it that before i would get a few computers here and there when they showed up now every case has a computer every case most definitely has two phones not one two phones or more right so now there's a a, a process where you know and you're obviously familiar with that and, and your audience as well, where we have that in, that intake because it's, it's unavoidable. I don't, I, how can I say this in a nice way? Um, if you're doing a lot of work, I will know <laughs> because I'll be getting computers and telephones from you, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So the mobile app uh, digital forensic piece that you focus on a lot by giving back to the community and the resources that you provide, how did you get started there? Was it a need um, in terms of a capability that you didn't have in your office? Oh, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly, and let me give you an example. So a few years back, there was this thing called Discord that nobody knew about. <laughs> of course, not everybody knows about it. Um, and I had a case where, um, it wasn't even my case, it was a local case. And they're like, look, this individual um, was uh, groomed a minor and went in the middle of the night and, you know, have her, jump out the window, picked her up and left with her, right? So they're trying to track this individual to recover the minor. And we don't know how they were communicating, right? Because the parents didn't give her a phone and all that. So they're communicating on the computer. We don't know how. And they didn't know how because at that time, when you parse the evidence, you know, to kind of get the stuff out, it wasn't recognized by the tools. No tool will show you Discord chats because they didn't. the tool was not made aware of that Discord even existed, right? So we sat, I sat up with the Excel, local exam, we started looking at it, and I found this Discord application on the computer. I said, well, how does this work? And one of my first technical blog posts in my blog was because of that. Because I said, look, this Discord thing is pretty popular with young people that do computer gaming and all that. You have all these capabilities from chatting, video chatting, messages, et cetera. Um, people need to be aware of what the contents of these things are. And I put that out. And then I said, you know what, this, this platform Discord is also available on phones and tablets. Well, how does that look? Does it run on Windows? I mean, I'm sorry, Linux. Does it run on a browser, independent of the operating system? And I end up doing a whole series of it um, on that, right? So that's how, and it's kind of funny. 
if you look at my stuff, at some point, most of it is going to tie to some work I was doing. <laughs> um, you know, of course, I do some of these parsers in my off time, most of them, because, you know, I got work responsibilities and some of these projects are side projects. But there's always some input of a necessity, right? And then that's when, at this point, I, I knew Jessica because of the Twitter thing. And uh, I said, you know what? It would be good to automate some of these processes, right? And that's when I started coding some of them uh, based on my previous background. So I did a quick parsers and that I noticed that being used and that's kind of how I keep building parsers for different things um, moving forward. Hopefully that made sense. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Yeah. Do you mind sharing with the listeners exactly what those tools are, the names and what they do? Yeah, absolutely. So, so when I started, I was throwing just one-offs, like here's a parser for Discord. Here's a parser for, I don't know, WhatsApp. Here's a parser, like individual type of stuff, right? So I met with Jessica on OS, OSDS, OSDF Con, you know, open source Utah Forensics com, uh, Conference. Oh, yeah. My basics technology and like maybe four or five years ago. And she said, well, how about you put them all together? So that way, right, people are not kind of looking for them one-offs. So that gave birth to the leaps, like, like jumping, but not really. So the leaps are a leap, which is Android log events and properties parser. So that's the A leap. Then I leap for iOS logs, events, and plist parser. And then R leap for returns. And then V leap for cars, for vehicles. And then C leap, uh, collaboration with Mark McKinnon for Chromebooks. And W leap for Windows. And what's the other one? I'm missing maybe a couple. <laughs> <laughs> but so if, if folks want to look into that, it's Python based tools. And I selected Python as my programming language because it's really common in this field, in the physics field. Uh, tools are, you know, it's really compatible, good language, a lot of libraries. Well, anyways, so I selected Python through those tools and I put out this first framework. And I've been lucky enough that a whole bunch of folks in the community are coming in and participating, adding their own parsers, their own artifacts. Um, I believe that we've, be, we've pushed a little bit of the industry forward. Um, if we believe there's a need, for example, um, we made a parser for ProtonMail in iOS, um, working with uh, Matthew Regneri up in France. And we put that into our tooling. And that tells vendors, hey, we want to parse ProtonMail. And if you look at this code, you may get a heads up on how to do it, right? Not that they don't, don't they have the ability, of course, but we're highlighting what we need. And thankfully, a few months later, then you know, major vendors in the space came out with ProtonMail parsers. And that's good, right? Uh, we want yeah. to push push it forward because... If you don't use it in our tool, you will definitely use that or have that need in other tools, right? The, the big industry tools. Um, so folks can go to abrignoni at github, github.com slash abrignoni. The repositories are there and you can download the code and run it. There's an executable there um, that you can also try out. And I have some videos that show you how to, how to work with it. Yeah, we actually have a technical blog on iLeap. So for the iOS support that you did. It's awesome. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And again, this, I mean, I started the project, but honestly, this project is not really mine. It's the communities, right? I, if you look at the, uh, the collaborators page, when you throw a report, I mean, it's dozens, right? And in just one project, right? Um, just folks reaching out and saying, hey, look, uh, we appreciate the framework. We added a few things and I merged them in the repository and then everybody benefits. So uh, I'm thankful for the, all the other people that work. I, I would be remiss if I don't mention two people. I want to mention Jogesica 3. It's been a mentor to me at the beginning of the process. Uh, great examiner. And also Alex Caithness up in the UK. He's been really helping me now lately to kind of up my Python game. So those are two key people that has helped me as well. Awesome. Nice. 
No, it makes sense. The, um, like in terms of like you, you all driving where vendor relationships are going, right. In terms of the support that they're including, because you're in it, you're in the field, you're doing all the work yourself. You're seeing like the different trends and we can say here as vendors and we can do trend analysis all day long, but it's not going to be the same as getting that feedback directly from those customer sets. So it's invaluable that you're doing this work. Well, no, I, I appreciate it. And, and I like the fact that folks, um, come in and say, look, we we want this, and actually, here's how we how we can do it, right? And it and it's really good because then we have the vendors coming into that space, providing that output, and we have another method that validates as well, and we validate each other because let's be real here, right? A lot of the stuff that this tool this tool does, um, is kind of black boxy in a sense, right? Um, they might not reveal to you the details how they do it, right? They might tell you what the data source is, but not what the secret sauce is. And if we right. can get that same output, but in a more open uh, manner, open source manner. I think it's 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 uh, it's a good thing. And again, I'm not dissing the vendors, right? I understand that they need to have right their own product and and safeguard that intellectual property. But if we can validate in a different way, that just makes uh, the the trust in that output even even you know more solid. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a developer before, like you started um, working with your agency or? Is that something that you just kind of picked up as you went along? Um, yes, no. I say yes, no, because uh, before I came into the bureau, I wouldn't consider myself a developer, like a real developer. And I don't consider myself a real developer today. <laughs> 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 I, I tell the folks I, that collaborate with me, I code like a nine-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear that. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I've been lucky again, Yogesh and Alex, uh, Caitlin, they, they've been such a great influence in making my code better. Um, now, before I joined the Bureau, I, used, I do system administration for a small college, which meant that at some level I had to uh, code. I had to you know, put down fiber optic cable. I had to fix computers, take the hard drives out, right? So it became like you do, for my little section of the, of the college or university, I was a one-man show for my section, right? Um, so I had to code a little bit, but I wasn't a real developer. I really, and actually for a time, I didn't really want to do that at some point. That's why I kind of came into law enforcement thinking, well, you know what, I'm going to be doing different things, which I did. But now based on the importance of the work that I do with my law enforcement agency, I provide now more value with a little bit of coding that I know. I feel that now I can put both together and it's been a good, happy place for me to be where I can take that previous knowledge and add it with the mission. And again, I, I, I'm really lucky. <laughs> I'm really grateful for, for, to the universe that I'm, where I'm at right now, because I can do both, right? I can take that knowledge of computers and then add it. And I, I believe, this is my opinion, I believe that examiners, uh, one of the skill sets that needs to be really emphasized moving forward is coding. Coding is like magic. It really helps a lot, right? And another one which I need to work on is a little bit of reverse engineering. Um, I believe examiners need to start looking into those because the solutions moving forward, I believe, I'm not going to just be sitting in a database. There might be hidden behind some encryption or behind some obfuscated process, and you might need to reverse engineer that. Um, you might need to then automate that reverse engineer process, right? And I think that's where examiners as a field might be heading down in the next few years. Yeah, I think that's really important. I know when I was in my, um, my undergrad, I only had one, one Python programming class, and it was like the very basics. <laughs> <laughs> it did not help well, me at all when I graduated. <laughs> I had to like relearn it by my own resources and books. No, and, and that's what I did. I mean, when I started coding, uh, I did COBOL, so I can tell you. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Go ball. <laughs> I had a class on that once. Yeah. Yeah. So I was the last cohort, you know, the last class in, in my university that taught that class. After I went through it, they took out the curriculum, right? But but still, right? And I mentioned this in other places. Uh, don't 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 fall asleep. I mean, Python, well, Python is cutting edge. Everybody uses it. Python is over 30 years old. Let, let's be real, right? <laughs> so at some point, this field is what's the best tool for the job, right? Um, nowadays, it's Python. In the future, it might be something else, right? So the question is, how are we making sure that to be, how can we be effective, right? And to be effective means to have a broad tool set. It could be a programming language from 30 years old, I mean, 30 years ago, or it could be a new process that's coming online, artificial intelligence, whatever that means, right? Um, and, you know, do we want to be efficient? Do we proficient? In, at least in my corner of the world, justice delayed is justice denied, right? So I want to make sure I get that as quickly as possible, right? And, and preparing myself allows me to do that. So, so how do justice you Justice delayed is justice denied. Tagline, Amy, record that. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't come from me. I got it from somewhere else, to be honest. But it's, it's, a, it's a good phrase, and which is true, right? So... <laughs> It is true. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen uh, Have you seen much use of uh, Go as a programming language? Um, not in the forensic field, straight up. I, I think I used it once trying to come out with some cockamamie way of, of dealing with LDB databases, and then Alice Katniss came out with a legit, you know, Python based resource which I use. Um, um, but me personally, no. But that doesn't mean that other folks haven't haven't used it, right? So okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was just curious because. Um, and we started to see an uptick of it just in like the last two years. Um, so it kind of came out of nowhere because, you know, I was looking at Python and some other stuff and and then Go seemed to pop up and just people were running with it. So just curious. Yeah, I mean, it's like any product, right? Um, you can have a superior quote unquote product, but if the user adoption is not there, that product will go, you know, the Betamax way, right? <laughs> yeah, so, right. Uh, yeah, so I, I, that's why I kind of decided on Python um, you know, thinking of what's the user, user adoption, what's easier for folks, and what's compatible with other tooling set. And I think it was a good choice, at least for, for my stuff. So where do you find the time to, um, you know, put together your resources? Do you have time while you're on the job to do it, or do you have to do it all in your own time? All of my own time. I mean, I will say this. A couple of things I do at work, but not for not because... How can I say this? Like Discord, right? Discord is pushing something for the work, for the job, right? But that can be translated for other people to benefit so I can put it out there, right? So yeah, something, something is kind of spurred by the job, but I don't do it on the job, right? Like the researching part, or, um, a lot of that stuff, not a lot. Most, I do it I do it on my, on my own. The coding, I did on my own. And when I started this project, I only had my first kid and he was really little. So... As you, you know, you all know, kids are hard to deal with, but at least just one was easier. Then the second came, one came in and it's a little bit harder for me to do that. Now, that's the whole point of that. I guess myself and yours, yours too, right? Yourself, you do it. I know you do it too. We push for collaboration, right? Because trying to have this tooling or any tooling or any other resource just by yourself, it's hard. I mean, you're not going to be able to, and it might die. And when I say that is if the person hitting, uh, leading the effort disappeared, the effort is dead, right? So I've been lucky to have folks, and I'm going to mention a few other folks that I'd be remiss if I don't mention them, uh, Geraldine Bly and uh, Josh Hickman and Kevin Pagano, right, for example. They collaborate in the project, and they come up with research, and then we together we can do a parser. So what I would have done by myself in a week or two weeks now can be done, uh, you know, collaborative, 
together. <laughs> I sound like like the like the chicken at, at Looney Tunes, you know. <laughs> Starts one word ends with another. Um, <laughs> together we get uh, you know get a, get a get a solution for it in a matter of days, right? Um, Josh came out with some work on on the uh, the privacy. Is that privacy the word dashboard? I think it's privacy dashboard. It's an it's an, an Android artifact. It's really good, but it, it tells you when an app was used and for how long. And the idea is for the phone to tell you, well, you've been using this phone for this many this many hours, and this is the breakdown of what are you using it on. So kind of make you aware, and maybe you know maybe you need to put your phone down, right? Yeah. That's the purpose. But we use it for forensics, right? I can tell you, well, this suspect was using this device at this time, which is relevant to the case in whatever way, right? So we kind of co-op this functionality uh, for other purposes that are investigatively interesting, right? Well, Josh came with that, right? And he said, hey, look what I found. I got some some queries from this database. And Kevin and myself, we were able to uh, implement it fairly quickly on the tooling, which if I do that myself by myself, it will take weeks just doing the research, then implementing. Hopefully that makes sense. So the, the big trick with this with focus, I would I would tell folks to look, get, be part of the community, go on Twitter, go on the defer Discord, um, you know, channels and collaborate. You know, if there's some folks that you get along well, or you meet at conferences, uh, make a group and work together. And that really speeds up the process. I'm at a point in my career where uh, five years ago I could, now I can't do it, do it all by myself. I can, just cannot. And I know you're, you're the same, you're all busy, but collaboratively, um, we, we can do it. So. Yeah. That teamwork makes the dream work, right? <laughs> um, I got a question. Uh, you mentioned a couple of uh, international folks that you've been working with. Um, have you seen that the, the I guess, the digital forensic community expand internationally? Or are you starting to see more people um, overseas um, collaborating with people here in the U.S.? Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good and broad question. So, I mean, there's some folks that, like I mentioned, Matthew Ragnetti in France, right? And there are folks from all over the world doing cutting edge, edge research, uh, research, right? So, and we see some of these big companies in the space really broaden horizons between the, you know, the R markets, right? You got folks that started, you know, you know, a business here in the US and now they're expanding to other markets. So that brings with it a further opportunity for folks to really research and collaborate. So that's good. Now, at least in, on my field and the law enforcement field, I find uh, countries having the need, of course, like everybody, there's a, there's, there's an iPhone here, it's an iPhone everywhere, or an Android anywhere. So they need that capability. And then part of my job has been to try to um, help these, these these folks really, you know, up their forensic knowledge, right? And I get also, I get, um, I, I learn from them as well, right? The different challenges in their area of responsibility, the devices they work with, um, an application that's popular here in the US might not be popular in a country halfway across the world, right? And we might not have parsers for it, or they might not have parsers for it, or they have it, they give it to me, right? And then it opens another avenue of investigation because like I mentioned before, maybe the suspect or the victim, whatever, was talking on this application that I wasn't aware of because it's not popular to me in the US, but it might be popular to them in another country, right? So I see a lot of corroboration. I think one of the biggest hurdles is language. Um, these resources that I put out are in English and I try to put it out in Spanish, but it's hard because I got new stuff in English coming in all the time that taking the time to backtrack and translate. So that's one thing I'm trying to figure out how can I do that better or get more bilingual speakers that could help me out at least with Spanish, um, which is the language that I know as a native speaker. 
but it's language. Um, when I go teach, you know, do you have that in, in Spanish, for example? Well, I, I don't, right? I can explain it, but you know, so how, how, how can we bridge that, uh, that language barrier, something that I'm kind of uh, looking, looking into. Interesting. Yeah. Twitter is an awesome resource. I'm sure if it, I'm sure you've already done it, but if you threw the question out there, I'm sure you'd have a lot of people volunteer. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that would be great. I and mean, something, even, even documentation, right? Because even if the tool is written because the, the language is in English, right? The, the primary language in English, right? When you say while, right. And for those are if people that know, don't know programming. That means it's a, it's a word that has a meaning in the language, right? While for, if else, that's in English, right? It, it's not mientras, which is while in Spanish, right? <laughs> you don't write the word mientras, you write while, right? So, yeah. so the languages, but even if they're in English, right? If the other if documentation is translated, folks can use the tool independent of what programming language is it written in, right? And that's something that would definitely, I think everybody would need help on, right? Translate some content, training content, a lot of good training content in English, you know, that's open source, make it Spanish or make it, again, I say Spanish as an example, but whatever language the need is. Um, and then folks can contribute back. There's a big, in Twitter, it's a big um, InfoSec community, Spanish-speaking community, um, not so much a digital forensics community. And they're kind of mixed in together in a sense, um, but they're still distinct in, in, also in a sense. And you're aware of this, right? Folks that work intrusion, intrusion meaning uh, folks that illegally come into computers, right? They have a unique skill set with unique verbiage and unique tools. Whereas the folks that, like myself, are tasked with getting the evidence out of the devices and then put them in an understandable fashion, it's a different skill set, even though there's some overlap, right? Um, so I see a lot of InfoSec communities and different languages in Twitter. Um, I think the digital forensics one still needs some work on. I wouldn't be aware of a Chinese one or, you know, I don't know, whatever other languages, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah, that's a really hard challenge to solve for because um, of the language barrier piece that you had just brought up. I'd never even thought about if and or statements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, because I have to explain it. I, I do a lot of teaching overseas, which, well, again, one of the, like I said, the rewarding experiences, that's also one of those. Um, I had cases where um, they're trying to find, I mean, how, how can I say this, to solve a murder case, a murder case, right? And you share with them a piece of information or a process, right? And then they re they reach out to you, you know, a month later and say, "Hey, look, we did what you said, and we pushed the investigation forward, or we found the body, and we're able to, you know, or whatever it is, right? Um, you you cannot put a price on that, right? You cannot pay me enough, you know. If, if I if I had no need to feed myself <laughs> and pay for a roof, I would do it for free, right? <laughs> um, and and it's good work, and you know. I had to teach and I tell them, look, this is how it's say like firewall, right? You know, how do you try to like, translate firewall, right? It's kind of like a wall on fire, <laughs> right? Um, but you have to translate the, the, the Spanish way, but explain it so it makes sense because think about it, literally a wall on fire makes no sense <laughs> <laughs> if you translate it verbatim, <laughs> right? And some words you have to just, you know, you say router, you kind of anglicize it, right? It, you know, it still sounds like router, but with a few yeah. letters added in to make it Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> and some words are totally different, right? Um, like log, I learned that the proper way for saying log is bitácora, right? And bitácora is kind of the word in Spanish that you use when you know, you're in a boat and you have the captain's log and you write the thing like that, like sequentially what things had happened. It's really a nautical type of word, but it goes with it, right? Like a log, right? Um, those are some of the challenges that I, that I 
even oh, I'm sorry, I'm kind of going on a, on a tangent, but no, it's I will say this. Well, I'm I really glad you mentioned nautical. <laughs> Here we go. He's <laughs> like, I'm ready Just for the boat. For it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> do you do any sailing? We need to know this. <laughs> no, but I, I, I had even within even Spanish within different countries is different, right? In the same way that English from the UK is different from English here in the US, right? Or English or somewhere else. And I, I was talking about gangs at a country in you know Central America. I'm saying gangs, gangs in Spanish. The way I learned in Puerto Rico is gang. So it sounds really cl- similar to gang, right? And they were looking at me like, what the heck is this guy saying? Gangs, gangs, gang, gang, gang. And I'm like, so I look there, I say, well, what do, how, how do you say people that come together, form a group to commit criminal activity? Oh, that's called pandilla. Because in that country, ganga means like a deal. When you go, and when I mean, when you get like, uh, go to the store and a, a BOGO two for one or buy one, get one free, <laughs> well, that's a ganga. And they're like, why is he talking about, about deals in the He store? really like, likes his bargain shopping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bargain shopping? What? Right? Because, but the word in Spanish means something else in one country and another country means something else. Right. Um, so and I find that to be funny, but also kind of interesting because I'm able to find the ways to, make the forensic knowledge known the best way I can, right? And that's one of the challenges that I, at least I face when I go overseas and try to help out, or they're trying to communicate things that will help me out. It's a two-way relationship there. So when you go overseas and you provide training, are you doing that resource for free or are you, is that like paid? Well, it's part of supporting the a mission from, you know, from my employer. So they, they, so cybercrime and everybody is in, in the, in the, that's listening to this is aware, right? Ransomware, right? Um, you know, uh, hackings, all type of stuff, right? And hackings in the criminal sense of the word. Uh, the word hacking is not evil on its own, right? Um, it's, it's, it's cross-national, it's international, right? Uh, the activity happens in one place, it's launched from another place, but the perpetrators are in a third place, right? So there's no way we can, you know, achieve that mission and keep these problems on, you know, under control by just working individually. So, so the government, and the governments of the world are trying to collaborate on these topics. So that means I might go there to help them out, or they might come here to, to kind of brief us on something. We might have some, and there's channels to do that, right? So part of those is it's called capacity building, and that's what I do. Uh, my 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 bosses send me to accomplish that, and everybody everybody grows. If we have an issue that we need help, we can think we have a partner on the other side. They have a partner over here, and if you look at all the cyber crimes that have been kind of solved lately in the news. It's been an international partnership, right, um, with countries and and NGOs and, and that type of stuff. So I've been really lucky to have like this worker view of, of how how that sausage is made. You know, I'm yeah. mixing my metaphors. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. We understand. <laughs> I think that, I think our listeners no. understand what you're trying to say. <laughs> so you're a huge proponent of constantly training and. Um, you know, continuing your own training and learning path. Why do you feel that that's so important in your career? It's hard to find time for a lot of different things outside of casework, but why is it so important? Um, so, I mean, the usual answer is, well, you know, new stuff comes in, you need to be up to date because uh, the field changes constantly, right? And if you're not up to date, you're going to let behind. And that's the typical answer and it's the correct answer, right? But I want, I would like to kind of have people think about the more knowledge you get in regards to the type of work that you do and the tools that you use it for, it makes you more confident in the work you do and you get closer to the truth and faster. And I say that because, and I said this before, our field is based on abstractions, right? 
it's just the that log in reality behind the scenes is just you know some values hex values which are a representation of binary values which are a representation of ones and zeros which are a representation if it's like a spinny disk right of magnetic stakes in a hard drive right so there's abstractions under abstraction under abstraction right and we don't deal with the magnetic forces in a hard drive because that's you know who can do that right off the top of the head right it's not the matrix <laughs> um but the more we know about the inner workings of our tools of what i do when we go on when i go to court and talk right i can really get testimony of what was done and how it was done and that we can be sure of what this abstraction of reality tells me about things that happened in the past right because that's what we do right what happened in the past and we have this evidence to show it and it makes it helps me make predictions of what could happen into the future as well right based on that on that evidence so Again, folks, you know, you don't want to be left behind. I don't want to be left behind. But do I want to be good at what I do? Do I want to really be able to get to the truth faster and confident? You want confidence in the work that you do? You have to put that time in. And it's not easy, right? We got we got lives outside of work. And I don't want people to forget about that. I do a lot of memes about that um, on my Instagrams and stuff and Twitter. Um, so we're not going to forego family and loved ones and, and off time. But as part of our process, we need to allocate some of that, right? Um, and unallocate some other things, like the like the the podcast is is, is called after, right? Um, and we have to do it, like the same way we brush our teeth, <laughs> right? Every day, every morning, every afternoon, at night, we have to make some time to keep up with the industry, or at least, if possible, do some research, right? And a minimum, collaborate with others. Um, that brings confidence. What's your favorite resource to keep up? Hmm. Um, so many good resources. <laughs> so I'm gonna. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna mention a few. Right? Is that okay? Is that That's fair? right. Yeah. <laughs> so I like 13 Cube a lot. Uh, Richard is a great guy. He does a lot of videos um, in regards to you know digital forensics and intrusions. Actually, I, I like his stuff so much that I have a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So 13 Cube is really good. So uh, Richard, great guy. So watch his videos. Um, I do uh, feel more. Feel more. Uh, this week in forensics it's a great resource because if you're in a pinch for time at least read that it may, it'll take you five minutes why because it tells you all the latest happenings on infosec and utah forensics and even if you cannot read the whole thing it's too many blogs too many articles at least you can say you know what i came across i read somewhere there was a solution for some problem that i have now right at least you're aware and then you can google it right? you can you know what terms to use to google it and most likely you'll find phil's uh you know episode or not episode a uh, blog for that week and then the link that leads you to where you need to go which it have i used it like that all the time like i think i read something at at phil's page that explained something and then i go find it right so so that's another good resource um another good resource is a different discord uh defer discord um by andrew ratburn uh, i think he works for crawl and all folks are you know can go in there there's a lot of channels there they talk about extraction forensics python all sorts of things you can ask questions and it really helps a lot um if you're in if you're an iasis person like iasis is an organization that certifies forensic examiners if you're part of that be part of the listserv and and be aware of what the questions people are asking uh, at the end of the day if you don't let's say you don't have the resources then reach out to folks in your area what is there an isc2 group in your area if there are some b-sides events in your area um in my case i got forensic examiners from other local and state law enforcement agencies. 
I try to make the effort to reach out and see what can I learn from them? What can they learn from me? And those connections are valuable, not only for the knowledge, because of the kinship and friendship you get with people that are trying to accomplish the same mission as you are, right? And they understand where you're coming from and where we're all going together. So I think it's that the one-to-one -one resources are one of the best. Yeah, I really like the way the community all evolves together. I always talk about like, I don't have a lot of friends, but I have a lot of Twitter friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've never met these people in person, but we talk all the time. <laughs> Oh, no, absolutely. And, it, it, you know, in, back in the day, you would say, well, you know, when you get middle age, you kind of start losing friends because, you know, the friends you grew up with or in college, they have their own lives, their own kids. They live, you know, across the country, whatever. But I found a, a whole bunch of new friends in my middle age <laughs> that have the same interest. We collaborate. We chit chat on, on, you know, on our, you know, WhatsApp disc or whatever. So I agree with you. It's uh, it's really enriched me also as a person. So, yeah. And I also appreciate the nerdy. Uh comedy that people have posted on Twitter and Instagram. Yours crack me up on a daily basis. So well, like, well, oh, I, 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 I know his pain. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I know exactly where this person's coming from. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like the movies, right? Any similarities, purely coincidental, maybe. <laughs> no, but we, we, we talk about what the experiences that we have and, you know, we try to make them a little bit funny or at least funny for those that like you, you know, and Jared, we're, that we're in the field, right? We know what it means for, um, you know, for folks to be out and you're still parsing this database, even though everybody's going home <laughs> because the need is there, right? Right. Um, so or no, nobody, nobody plugged the phone into a battery charger while they were transporting it. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and, and you know, um, <laughs> you spend yeah. a day telling them, look, this is the things you could lose if you don't do this. And then they bring you the phone and they didn't, they did not do that. <laughs> like you told them. <laughs> Yeah, but right. that's part of also as educators get, but I think it's funny, right? That, uh, I, you know, it happens. It happens. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, Twitter, uh, one of the things that I have seen recently is that the forensic forecast ballot, you're on it for a lot of the stuff that you're doing and giving back to the community. So congrats. Thank you. Can thank you, you explain a little bit about what the forensic forecast awards are <laughs> and why it's important for people to participate? No, uh, absolutely. So, uh, um, I, I I joke with folks that I'm the I'm the, the the Susan the Susan Lucci of the awards right now <laughs> <laughs> because because either myself or the two have been nominated like whatever 10 11 times and we haven't won yet which again is fine right um, it's gonna happen this year's gonna happen well no and I'll be straight with you at some point a few years back you know I was I'm a really competitive person I think a whole bunch of people in this field tend to be kind of type A personalities right um, the type of work with computers that we do we have to be that way I guess in a sense. Um, and you're competitive. Um, but the whole process taught me a couple of things. And before I tell you what I learned, let me tell the folks what the whole thing is, right? So the forecast awards, it's um, a way of recognizing people and tools that are uh, relevant in the digital forensics incident response space. It's, it's under the SANS umbrella. So SANS being a training organization that's really well known for the quality of their work and their price and the quality of the work. Um, so one of the instructors there set up this, uh, this awards and it's all community driven, which is really good, right? Where folks, the community nominates folks, and then they come down to, you know, per category three, you know, top three, and then the, the community votes for, you know, the first place for each category. So some of the categories are, um, commercial tool of the year, um, non-commercial tool of the year, which the leaves, um, were, you know, honored to be nominated on. 
And again, thanks to the work everybody as a community does on them. Um, there might be, for example, the, the uh, investigator of the year award, um, the newcomer of the year award, and there's like a series of them. And that's important because obviously we want to motivate folks that do the work. And that's I'm coming back to what I just started saying. Why is it important? Because folks that are coming in, we want to motivate them. Tell them, look, what the work that you're doing is appreciated. It's being noticed. So that's one way of doing that, kind of spur more of that, right? Second of all, it's good because the community knows what's being used, right? What's being relevant to others in the industry, right? We might not have this broad way of looking at across the industry, but this award helps. So I know folks are might be using Memorize, again, example, right? Some tool, then we take that or the leaps or whatever the other tools have been nominated are. Folks, people, the uh, there's one that's uh, a social media, the first social media contributor of the year. There's three people there. Well, if I'm not following those folks on their Twitters or Discord or whatever, I wanna follow them, right? Yeah. Because folks, you know, are kind of interacting with these folks, right? So it, it even if, if folks don't really get nominated because you know we can all can all get all nominated, right? But you get a knowledge of who is and how that will benefit you and your investigations or your work or your knowledge of your training, right? Um, a tool, there's another category for um, capture the flag of the year, which is good. You might not be aware that this capture the flag existed and those resources are left there for you to train. And you wanna learn about forensics, do capture the flags, right? And people are not familiar with that, what that is, is you get a piece of digital media, you know, you download it, and then there's a series of series of questions that you have to go through. And you answer them, answer them based on what you're finding on the media. And after you're done with that, you can go into the community and figure out write-ups that other people have done solving that. And you might come up to the solution in a different way. And if you did, I really want you to go and put it on your blog, put it on a blog, put it on Twitter, and make others know about it because I might benefit from it. Some of the stuff that Kevin Pagano has done on Capture the Flags, I've been able to then take it and use it on a real case, right? Yeah. So the, the awards really highlight that for the community. So that's why I believe they're so important and so relevant, independent of who wins or, 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 who, who, or who quote unquote loses. Honestly, uh, it might sound trite, but it's true. We all win <laughs> um, by you know being part of it. I just wanna add to the Capture the Flag, um... Uh, like participation there is that a lot of folks that are coming into the community that are trying to get their first jobs in the industry, a lot of them are beaten down by the fact that they don't have enough years of experience for the position that they want. When they participate in those events, they can capture that on their resume and they can actually put on their LinkedIn or wherever they would like to host it, um, their complete write-up, and that gives them validation of their experience in the field. I think a lot of people kind of glaze over that and don't really think about spending the time to grow that aspect of their resume out. There is no better example of your skill than actually showing your work, right? I mean, degrees are important. You know, certifications are great, right? And, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna diminish those. I have those. But I believe that a higher state of, of, of being is by showing your work. Go to this, like you said, go to the capture the flags. You do a little bit of research, do it. You took a, you're taking a Python course. What are your impressions on it? What, why do you think this training might be important to you in your field? You can write about that, even if you don't have, you don't have to make your own Python course. But as you learn, blog about it. And, and me, for example, as somebody, either because maybe, you want to be an intern or you want to and then or develop you know entry level positions you're absolutely right amy that's i believe that's the way to go
absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'll we're rooting for you that you, this is the year. This is it. <laughs> we can feel it. <laughs> I, I want to say they. What was it? They they like me or love me. They really really like me. <laughs> like she said, when she actually won. No, honestly, I mean, I got some nominations for myself. I don't care about those. The one that I really feel strongly about is the one for the leaps because there's so many contributors, and I would. I, I want to have the pleasure of putting all their names in a, in the blog, in the tweet, and letting them know that, you know, their work is useful, but it's being recognized to a higher level. And I want to say to everybody that uses the tool or the folks that contribute to it, I get I get emails from all around the world saying, "Hey, look, this has helped us in this way or that way." Um, you're not. I say this. I'm lucky that I'm aware of the impact now of some of the tools that I developed three, four, or five years ago, right? But I want to tell everybody listening. Never doubt of the impact you have, even if you don't get feedback from it. And don't be discouraged. The work that you do can make waves and echoes beyond now, even into eternity, right? And I have a whole talk about that, but I digress. Um, it matters, right? What you do matters, even if you're not told about it. Um, because people that you help, the people that learn from you will carry that forward. And so never be discouraged if you're not a winner of the event, right? The fact that you're participating and put stuff out there it's its own, its own good. So for feedback, uh, if people are using your tools, um, how can they provide you feedback? Where do they provide that? So there's, there's different ways, right? If it's something really tool specific, if they go to the repository in, GoodHub, in GitHub for the proper project, there's a discussion board there and there's an issues section. So issues is for problems. Hey, this is not running. You suck. <laughs> I'd be like, well, it's true. I do suck, but let's see if we can fix it and make it run, <laughs> right? <laughs> so uh, how can we make it better? So there's an issue section, right? There's a discussion board just for, hey, I, I think this is important. And I will say something to the community. Don't just tell people what to do. Hey, you should parse, you know, yin yang, guang, 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 guang app. No, no, no. You know, you want something, at least give me, give me, and I have, I have a meme for that coming. Give me some exemplar data. Give me some queries. Give me something I can work out of, right? And that's the whole thing. Don't, don't just task people, right? You want to be part of the community? Just don't task folks, especially folks that are doing this stuff for free, right? Come with, bring something to the table, bring some work, bring some data samples, and then we can work together. So just, 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 uh, just to say that, because I got folks that they give me a wish list. I'm like, well, I mean, there's 2 million apps or plus in the app store, oh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not right. going to park them all, right? Give me your top <laughs> three. Give, give me <laughs> yeah, so give me something, right? So that's one thing. Now, for feedback, there's the issues discussions for the projects. Um, I have a, a link queue app, and I, I guess we can maybe put this in the show notes later. Um, that's like a profile where I can integrate all my online presence into one spot. There's an email there that you can reach out to me for particular questions um, that might not be tool-related. Um, Twitter, I'm always on Twitter. Um, you can send me a DM there as well, uh, or participate in one of the postings, and and then you know we can we can communicate that way. But it's link like linq l-i-n-q app like linkapp.com/slash abrignoni. If you put abrignoni on Google, it's gonna show up, right? And you can go there and get my email, get contact information, and also see all the other all the other uh, social media. I have a YouTube channel which talks about these topics and have an Instagram full of uh, forensic memes. We'll make sure phone. to summarize all of that stuff in the notes too. Thank so, you. So that everybody knows exactly where to find you. Yeah. And, and send me, send me funny stuff too. Don't only send me computer stuff, send me funny stuff that's related to computers. Uh, <laughs> I love those. <laughs> all right. Okay. 
Oh boy. I feel like he just opened Pandora's box. <laughs> oh, I have a collection of computer dad jokes. Get ready. Oh, oh nice. Oh no. It's going to get worse. All right. So, um, just the last question. Um, what advice can you give um, to individuals who are either just starting out in the digital forensic space or transitioning into this industry? Um, be, be, be patient, right? Be patient. Um, I think that the, the, the field is a transition period, right? Where you got, there's a disconnect. You got the folks that do the hiring, hiring, and then the folks that put the requirements for that hire, right? And you have people asking, well, I want this entry-level position with a CSSP and 20 degrees. Well, it's not entry-level then, <laughs> right? So there's some disconnect there, right? Um, but be patient, right? Um, keep putting the work in. Um, enjoy what you're doing now as you're trying to move into doing something different in the near future. And your time will come, right? Um, I didn't get into the field from some of the get-go. Um, some folks have. Um, others, like myself, are going to really run about roundabout ways of getting there. But you will get there. And uh, you'll look back ten, you know, in the ten years in the future, look back and and say, you know what, I'm I'm glad that I, st I stuck to it, right? I, I kept at it. So don't be discouraged. Keep doing your learning, keep networking. That's important. And by networking, I mean getting to know people as humans, because we think. And sorry, I'm kind of going a bit of a tangent here, but networking sometimes comes across as I'm gonna meet this person to see what they can do for me, right? And I believe true networking is actually getting to know people, getting to really know people and have open yourself to be known. And if you do that, then things will happen. Good things will happen. And don't don't put any pressure on it. So network, get to know people and have them know who the real you is. And the opportunities will flow from that. Yeah, I think I mean, that's really, really important. Um, visibility and credibility when you're networking with someone, right? Understand mm -hmm. who they are, their core, why, where they came from, why they're doing the work that they're doing, and their passion. And that will just bleed through the rest of the relationship you have. I think that yeah, that's and, and you don't make false assumptions. You might, you know, I might believe that Jared is into something. I'm trying to do that. He's like, my may actually not, right? And there's a, there will be a disconnect, and we cannot really develop our relationship. But if I'm myself and you're yourself, and the, the the work issues will will fall into place on their own, and the opportunities will come even when you're not looking for them, as long as you're open to them and you're sincere and you're authentic, right? And that's that's what I believe. Um, and I, you know, I, I would tell folks starting the industry, just be authentic, be, be yourselves. I right? don't, don't, don't be afraid of being you. Well, no, I'm just kidding. You just steal that version of yourself when you first meet somebody. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, <laughs> there's something, there's something, I mean, if, if you're a sucky person, then, you know, you might want to stay away from everybody. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, but I, I mean, I, I've been told I'm a little thing. weird. I mean, if I just let that weirdness come out straight forward, you know, people would be like, oh, I don't know if I can handle this. I did have one more question. I'm always curious about the law enforcement perspective. My background is Intel, supporting military work. Not a whole lot of law enforcement. I did have worked with law enforcement, but mostly on the like intel gathering side of the house. Mm -hmm. So I'm always curious about actual like cases and taking it to court and things like that. Is there anything when you're working with digital forensics uh, technology or in that space when you've gone to court? or that you've taken into the legal system that has surprised you either with like attribution or the courts were like, oh, you actually need this or the prosecutor was like, we need X, Y, Z or just something that surprised you as you were like bringing digital forensics into the legal system. 
That's, that's, that's an awesome question. And it has surprised me because I come from a technical standpoint, but I'm presenting this to mostly non-technical people, right? And the judge might be versed in certain technical things, right? Because the judges and the prosecutors and the lawyers, they see technical cases come to them, but they don't have the background that you and me have, right? So I think something is pretty clear. Hey, this is, you know, clean, you know, it's clean cut, it's, it's done. And the judge says, well, actually to get this other piece, you need to tie it better or make a better, deeper connection. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it cannot be any more clear, right? But that's right. my failure. That's my failure, right? It's a failure of me being able to communicate properly the meaning of the connection that I'm presenting. And that's something, um, again, another tangent. I'm the king of tangents. Um, folks starting in, or even not folks that starting in, people have been in, we have to work on our communication skills, right? Um, if you're going to go there and, and spew a whole bunch of computer tech terms, they're not, it, it's not going to happen, right? You got to think, how can I make this understandable to somebody that doesn't have a deep technical background as you might have or I might have, right? And it has surprised me. I think this is a done deal and they kick it back and I have to do extra work. And I'm okay with doing extra work, but if I have done a better, if I have communicated it in a better way, right, I would get quicker, faster, better results. So I find that surprising. Um, what I think is clear cut might not be for somebody that's not technical. And we have to really work hard on on how do how do we how do we work as communicators? Forensic examiners, we're investigators, um, but we're also communicators. And as for much of us nerds communicating is not our forte, right? We like to be in our computers <laughs> and, right. and doing our things, right? But we have to communicate. We have to kind of, you know, if we're shy, work on that and work on public speaking and to, to communicate better and, and and listening. One last thing is I talk a lot, but I'm trying to make the effort of listening more <laughs> so I can be a better communicator, right? If I, if I listen more, so. Yeah, communication, it's like the, I mean, it's the last mile problem, right? Like you can do all this work and then that last mile, if you don't, nail that then the rest of it is you know could be for not but well i mean yourself yeah. in the intel community right all your work usually comes down summarized to a particular piece of writing <laughs> right and mm -hmm. that particular piece of writing has real world effects right so how you write it and and you're able to, as an analyst to communicate what's important about this piece of intel for example can make a world of a difference even just on paper right so uh, you're absolutely i believe you're absolutely correct that's what I like to hear. <laughs> it's oh, just true, man. <laughs> Here we go. All right. So uh, you're familiar with the show. We always do Experts React. Jared has a lovely segment for you today. Yep. So I've got I've got two. The first one's um, the first one I actually really like. So it's from Terminal List. I actually think they've done a pretty good job with some of their um, operational, I guess, acquisition pieces of it it's kind of interesting mm -hmm. um and then the second one is uh a little bit more a little bit lighter we'll say <laughs> <laughs> okay so just a real quick background this is terminal list it just came out a month or so ago on amazon prime and scenario is you've got a former seal that's trying to basically solve his own crimes and um so he's doing things off the books whatever but he uses some of his his uh, acquisition, collection, tradecraft training um, in this scenario. So there's this uh, guy that's part of this crime network that he is trying to break down. And um, basically he gets, 
he's he's able to get access to the individual's phone and then uh, move forward from there. So we will just jump right into it. That's going to be good. A little graphic. Right, so he gets the phone, and then he takes off. And then, uh, yeah, so then he's now he's about to fly to Mexico with some of the intel that he collected from it. Um, and he does some some kind of transfer here. I'm not exactly sure what that is. But... Uh oh, oh, we're frozen. Jared froze. Yeah, that's basically it. So I wanted oh. to do a, sc a screen Jared, grab and a close-up of that. But... Yeah, wait, 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 wait. Time out. You froze so bad. We just saw her say that something, and then you you disappeared. Right there. Okay. Started there. Let's let's All start right. that. <laughs> None. But I won't wait there to make those motherfuckers pay. Welcome, Rally Air. Yeah, so that was basically it. He just does uh, <laughs> some kind of transfer there. I'm not exactly sure what that was. Yeah, so we're oh, still trying to figure yeah. out what exactly he used um, to capture <laughs> the image the first time. Look, I, I, I'll tell you, they used magic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah um, the last part where you see one of the phones, and we take an uh, Android phone, or especially Samsung's, and you put him in the, uh, what mode is it? Uh, the, like a firmware mode. I, you know what? All my, all my computer, all my uh, mobile friends are gonna laugh at me because I cannot remember the term right now. Developer but, mode. You know, the mobile, you can, can, huh? Developer mode. I think it's either developer mode, one, one mode. I forgot what it was. That's how it, the screen looks, right? The little arrow pointing down and all that. Right. So that's how it looks. So you know, it's just people don't know what the arrow is, but it's there's nothing magical about it, right? Um, you put, you press the buttons on the phone a certain combination, and it leads you to this screen where you can then. You know, use other tools to try to get into it or whatever, right? Odin or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> well, the first yeah. thing is. <laughs> it's been a while since I've used Odin. It's been a while since I've done any phone rips. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm using old school terms here for the folks, right? So, uh, so you know, you can kind of, you know, make that phone accessible. Um, so the first thing is, I'm gonna react now. <laughs> He's like, he he dumped the phone in the time it took him to say, "Where are you hiding?" So and so. <laughs> 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 hey, you know, if I had a tool that did that, I would be like every day, what are you hiding, so and so? Why are you hiding? Right, that'd be amazing. That would have to be your tagline when you plug it in. <laughs> exactly. How are you hiding? Suspect number two. Um, no, I mean it's it's you know, it's 
I mean, it's sound in the sense that, yeah, we can pull stuff from phones, but it's not sound in the sense that, first of all, the time it takes. And second of all, you, you're doing the dump from one phone to another, right? Um, and for folks that are not familiar with mobile for mobile forensics, um, there's different levels of extractions you can do on a phone, right? And depending on that level is how much data that's pertinent you're going to get. So uh, the, the faster ones don't get you as much data, right? And that one is like the fastest in the universe. <laughs> so that's why I said it's magic. There's no way you can dump relevant data just like that. Oh, no. And on top of that, on top of that, he, he just unlocked it with the face, right? Although it was obviously an Android phone, um, you know, based on the icons. But for example, iOS, if you unlock the phone with the face, right, it's unlocked. And you want to dump it. That's not enough, right? You need to provide yeah. the, the PIN code, certain other information to then be able to download the phone. And I had cases where, uh, well, not me personally, but locals that I helped out um, that, yeah, I mean, and, you know, sorry, it's a little bit graphic, but we have unlocked phones uh, with the fingerprints of a deceased victim, right? Or right. with the face things, right? So that, that that is true, though, right? You can you can do that, right? Um, but then getting the stuff out uh, programmatically, that means by dumping it to a, another phone, another computer, that's a whole ball of wax. That's, that's totally a little bit unrealistic, but they need to move the story forward, right? Yeah. And then that that move on the phone, if it's slow, using it through the you know a cable, trying to get an extraction, let's say for example Bluetooth, which is my assumption since the phones at least I didn't see them to be connected by cable, they seem to be like just floating next to each other, right? Oh, that's way slower as well, yeah. right? Because, yeah, he's gonna take up that whole flight just transferring data, and, and most likely you wouldn't be done, right? <laughs> you need to plug the phone just to keep the battery charged so the so the the, the phone doesn't go dead by the time you're done. Um, yeah. yeah, Bluetooth extractions, it's just, I never do. It's just ridiculously slow. Um, so, but again, the, the the concept is sound, right? In the sense of, yeah, you're trying to get re relevant stuff from an electronic device, right? But yeah, it's it's Hollywood magic. <laughs> yeah, definitely some of that in there. There were, there's a few things that I appreciated about it. Um, one that they actually like went through, okay, there's a screen lock, there's biometrics. Now he has to defeat that. And once he's defeated that, then he can actually go through his acquisition process, regardless of whatever tool he was using to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, certainly it was super fast, and you know maybe he probably walked away with a directory listing. And oh yeah, that was about it. <laughs> in, in the best case scenario, at best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, I, I don't know much about if Cryptics is an actual like type of phone or if they made that up, but there are actually secure types of phones out there. So he was looking for something specific and, and, you know, did a face unlock, but of course you've got to go into settings and like you said, punching the pins and there's a whole bunch of other steps in there that they cut out. But um, I was happy that they at least got like biometric stuff, right. He's hooking a cord up to it to do the extraction. And then, mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's got it in developer mode and doing the transfer. Um, yeah. Yeah. So at least, you know, it's getting closer, at least Hollywood, Hollywood closer. Hollywood oh yeah. Yeah. Closer. That's why I said the, the process is sound. Go ahead. Which is a totally yeah. different, totally different level. Hollywood closer. <laughs> yeah, and the, the Bluetooth takes forever. Like there's been, there was, there were some times where the phone was so damaged I couldn't actually get a connection from the cable, and Bluetooth was the only option. And you would just like literally sit it there for three, four, six hours, come back, and you've got, you know, fifty files to look at. And it's like, well, it's like, well, the first five photos showed up. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully oh, these are the best photos ever. You, you, you gotta realize they only have 30 minutes for that episode. So you know. Right. <laughs> they they yeah. did a lot in 30 minutes. <laughs> Time travel. Well, and actually, 
actually that's something that I, I know you heard this before it's becoming an issue for us right because when you go to court the juries have created this habit of thinking well this is just like what i saw on tv right mm. and it's not right they they want the csi effect in our cases and when i tell them look this is not as easy or as sexy as you see in the movies right it's it's a it's a hurdle we have to get through having the juries understand no this took weeks well why didn't you get it in uh, in 30 minutes this guy in the list did it in 30 seconds oh yeah on the tv show not in reality right so that's something that us communicators we have to work with uh work to solve is this csi effect where folks think that it's like that in real life and it's definitely not <laughs> So yeah. maybe we then, need to do an experts reacts for people who are on a jury. <laughs> like here, here's Hollywood. Oh, here's yeah, the expert. This is not how this works. <laughs> maybe that's yeah. And, and even if you're like, and, and people that are in, in, in the other side of this business, you know, providing uh, products and certain solutions and services, you have to be realistic uh, in regards to what the tool accomplishes. Right. And that's something I'm, uh, I have some heartache in the past, be realistic of what the tool does and how it does it. Um, because if the, if the, if you don't temper those expectations, you're not gonna, you know, uh, provide the solutions that, that you might need to provide that, that are good. Right. So be realistic with everybody. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't wait until we have money to do promo videos and they're going to be exactly like that. <laughs> In 30 seconds. Done. Yeah. <laughs> with dramatic music and dark, dark mood lighting. Fake blood everywhere. No, not, not that. <laughs> <laughs> super graphic for no reason. Big blood and strings going every which way. Our advertisements have to be like 18 and plus age group to watch it. Yeah. Follow okay, language got graphic. one more. This will be fun. And then I actually have a, a quick, like, actual, like, legit point of interest follow-up after this. So, the dude sent out an email to reply. He hit reply all, sent out an email to a whole bunch of people he didn't mean to send it to. And so now he's trying to, I guess, get in and delete the email or something. I don't know. Anyways, he's trying to hack into Terry's account. All right. Oh, this is Brooklyn. <laughs> Nail this. This will crack his password, but it could take an hour. No way Jake keeps up with Terry for that long. Have you seen Terry? Well, there's nothing we can do unless you guys can guess the Sarge's password. Big muscles? Nope. That's your first guess, big muscles? His wife's name Sharon. Nope. Sharon one. Nope. Sharon two. Nope. Sharon three. <laughs> This is stupid. God, I hate how hard it is to guess other people's passwords. Wait, everyone wait. Try yogurt. We're in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right on. Oh. That's how it happens every time. Yep, exactly. All right, so I actually um, wanted to pull this up. Try yogurt. Right, yogurt. <laughs> I'm sure they locked out. There's usually like a five count lockout. But, uh, nah. um, but this will be interesting. So, okay. So password cracking and the like the most common passwords that are used, like the top 10 most common list. Um, what are your guys' best guesses for password number one, the most commonly used password for 2022? Password. <laughs> it's always password. Amy? Um, I don't know. Uh first thing that pops into my mind, spaghetti. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody's hungry. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this is from cybernews.com for 2022's top 10 most common passwords. No. 
And one, two, three, four, five, six is the most common one. And then you've got one through nine. I know somebody that uses this. Yep. Oh, QWERTY has been there forever. Yeah. 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 Why can't we away. be better? Definitely spaghetti. <laughs> spaghetti should be number one. Everybody guesses that. It's delicious. <laughs> well, spaghetti apparently is pretty secure. So <laughs> I don't know. It's still, there's no special characters in it. Yeah. Well, oh, I'm surprised is that there isn't uh like the the one q a z like going down like like visual patterns that people people yeah. trace out aren't more common but i guess these are probably pretty common oh like running well, across the keyboard yeah yeah i mean and and even the special characters nowadays it's just it doesn't do anything right um right now you want to have really long passphrases right you know the whole special characters um you know, it was, I found the video funny because she was Sharon one, Sharon two, Sharon three, right? <laughs> but but that's true, right? We have yeah. tools that do, yeah. do those iterations for us, right? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna type them. The tool will create that dictionary list for me with all the iterations, right? So in a sense, that's not wrong. It's funny, but it's not wrong. Um, just that you wouldn't do it one by one, right? Um, but you know, for the folks that are listening, yeah, you know, keep those. Not a password, pick up really long phrase. And I'm actually, I'm actually hoping the whole Fido thing, you know. Really keeps taking off, so that way we don't have to worry about passwords anymore, right? So, uh, you know, um, you know, cryptographically secure stuff. Hmm? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to worry about the password. Just put the key in, and 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 you know, you have a uh, you know, it's all secure, public, public, private, you know, key encryption, and you're good to go. But no, it, it is it is a funny video though, and and you know the word yogurt is in a dictionary on top of that, right? So. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, you, you get the password hash and, you know, assuming it's not salted, just let it run with a dictionary. Yogurt, bling, it comes up. <laughs> and then, so, uh, but no, it's 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 funny, but it's also true. Actually, actually, uh, I just thought about this. I had, you say, well, that never happens. You'll be surprised. Um, working with some locals here, um, we had to get into a phone and we have a good sense based on another device of, you know, what the key things that were important for this suspect. And one of the examiners, she said, I think this might be the password. And believe it or not, like she wrote it in, and it darn open. <laughs> wow! So, so, so that that tells you if you know your your target, right? In mm -hmm. my case, would be a suspect, but in your case, it might be something else. Uh, if you know your target, um, and you know you really know what the interests are and all that, it's human nature. You know, we want to be able to remember things, so we correlate them to things that are dear to us, you know, or easy for us to keep track of, right? Um, so keep your password managers handy, people. If not, we might actually guess <laughs> what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, pin unlocks, too. There's usually a couple that, you know, it's it's not super common, but occasionally you'd get lucky. And well, I mean, I, mean right I, I, I bet you've done this. You look at the thing. That's why I don't want people to be messing with the phone, right? And you look at this mirror, right, of the fingers, you know, how they kind of, the fingers move on the screen. And uh, yeah. that might help, believe it or not. You can actually, you know, Give it a couple of shots if you have nothing else and sometimes it just goes you never know yep all takes and trips tips and tricks of oh, yeah. oh, of course I mean, and obviously course. always use a very secure, secure password as spaghetti oh yeah yeah i feel yeah. like oh, that's yeah. what we've already here in this episode <laughs> you know that's <laughs> going to be a password like, at some point now i was like <laughs> i have no idea why that just popped in my head i was like well spaghetti i don't know <laughs> i am hungry Lunch time. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Unallocated Space. It's been a pleasure having you. You're an awesome guest. Um, we will definitely uh, make sure we summarize all the resources and the notes on the YouTube channel so that people can find you and give you plenty of feedback for your tools and all the hard work that you're doing. Um, and if you enjoyed the show, make sure that you all give us a thumbs up. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. Yep.